Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. So I don't know if uh, last episode and what happened immediately after we posted it was part of like the podcaster's curse and, you know, Eisenman always makes moves at times when no one's expecting, or if this was actually a favor from Eisenman and the Red Wings this time, because we had actually only posted the episode seven minutes prior to the news and we hadn't even put in the, uh, put up the YouTube video yet because I was still rendering. So when... You know, I was still in the process really of editing and Alex Nedeljkovic got waived. At first I went, oh my God, of course. Of course the one time we record in the morning on a Sunday, this is what happens. But then I thought, eh, it's an easy edit. We we actually talked about Ned last episode originally because um, we figured a move was coming that week. We just didn't know when and it was all immediately nullified. And I think on balance, I'm going to count our blessings here. I think that wasn't too bad. It's way better than a, you know, 2 a.m. trade or it, it could have been way worse, I should say. So, Steve Eisenman, thank you. I don't know. I'm a little upset. All our um, opinions and predictions were like 100% accurate. We nailed every bit of it and now the world will never know. That's right. Yeah, we were yep. just completely correct and uh, we were very magnanimous when we uh, when we edited. It's funny because it, it actually wasn't even that, you know. Uh, everything was completely wrong. It's just that it was all, this is going to happen this week. And it's like, nope, uh, by the time people are listening to this, this move has already been made and, and completed. But, uh, you know, funny how the how Red Wings news works. It's always, the rule is it's always when you least expect it. Uh, folks, welcome to the Winged Wheel podcast. Uh, here to talk to you about all things Detroit Red Wings hockey, the world of the NHL and more. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. You doing okay, buddy? I don't know. It's Wednesday. We're almost there. Battling through right now. <laughs> you said that like you're like, and I'm Evan. Like you were surprised to be uh, here, but you're happy to be yeah, here. I can't believe I'm here right now. <laughs> You've <laughs> only done it on Wednesday for forever. <laughs> <laughs> you were here twice a week for the last eight years. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> on this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast, uh, the Red Wings played two games and oh boy, is it midseason right now. Uh, a loss against Colorado and a uh, pretty upsetting loss against Arizona, all things considered. We'll be covering those two games. Uh, we'll be talking about Nadelkovich being waived uh, and clearing waivers, of course. Uh, some other Red Wings news. And on either side of the ad break here, it's it's about time that we talk about the trade deadline, what that means for the Red Wings, and not just the trade deadline. Uh, everything right now is is being measured against what Steve Eisman did over last summer. So we're going to talk about whether um, you can really make an evaluation on Eisman's moves from last summer yet, uh, if anything has changed, and just the outlook uh, for the Red Wings in general. Pretty much just a continuation of what we've been talking about. And there is a world of NHL news, so we'll see what we get to. Um, pretty much pandemonium everywhere right now. All that and more before overtime. Uh, of course, before we jump into the content, I want, I want to let you know about Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA. That is an event that's partnered with the Detroit Red Wings and the Winged Wheel Podcast, where we host a live episode of the show before the game uh, at uh, Hockey Town Cafe, just a stone's throw away from Little Caesars Arena. Uh, DetroitRedWings.com slash WWP to get your tickets. They are going fast. The gondola is almost completely sold out. 
So we host a live show before the game where we've had special guests like Ken Daniels and Mickey Redmond. Uh, there's a Q&A. There's a, a time for a meet and greet with not just the host, but more importantly, the special guests. Uh, there's merch, there's prizes, giveaways, and we have a couple extra goodies in store for you uh, for the next event on Saturday, April 8th. Uh, we won't spoil them just yet. Uh, after the live recording, we all head over to Little Caesars Arena where we watch the Red Wings take on the Pittsburgh Penguins, uh, where we have Winged Wheel podcast-specific sections. We have the entire gondola, upper and lower bowl uh, seats where you sit with fellow fans and listeners. So wherever you like to sit in the arena, we have you covered. Tickets have a special Winged Wheel podcast discount, and a portion of the proceeds, most importantly, goes to benefit the Jamie Daniels Foundation. So special thanks to our uh, partners with the Detroit Red Wings uh, for helping to make that happen, and uh, we look forward to seeing you all there. So Evan, your uh, your Lobstradamus streak is over. I think you misheard me. I said zero one and one. Oh, okay. you mean one? Oh yeah, zero one and one. That's right. That's really what I meant. I did you. mishear you. You just you talk so much, it all becomes a blur. Yeah, right? I know. I know. So it looked good for a second with that couple minutes in the the third period against Arizona. I immediately thought, well, man, Evan got it again, and then it all. Uh, we're just in the typical midseason Red Wings hockey right now. Yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> we have different definitions of good. <laughs> so the Red Wings played two games as a back-to-back with travel. Um, the matinee against Colorado. Uh, look, that was a game where the Detroit Red Wings played the defending Stanley Cup champion Colorado Avalanche. I, I don't know how much you want to make notable about this game. They were up 5 nothing before the Red Wings scored. Cop turned around in front, buried one. Ben Schraub buried one, and Perron tipped in a cider uh, goal late or cider shot late to make it 6-3 but that wasn't a 6-3 game like don't let the score fool you the Red Wings didn't get a save they were not playing well it, overall it was just a yeah on paper Detroit Red Wings versus on paper Colorado Avalanche and the result was the result watching Nathan McKinnon and Kale McCarr uh, makes it really easy to understand what the Red Wings lack it was the breakaway where Nathan McKinnon went down on Helberg, who uh, uh, came in to start the third, because who so obviously didn't have a good day. And uh, he came down on the breakaway, and Ken on the broadcast immediately was saying, yeah, you don't want to. Like, as the breakaway was happening, saying you don't want to give Nathan McKinnon a breakaway here on Helberg. And then McKinnon did what McKinnon does at 1,000 miles an hour, you know, deke, 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 top right corner, so fast where Chris Osgood, professional NHL goaltend, goaltender with however many hundreds of wins, cups, all those accolades, he could not stop himself reacting and going, oh, like it was that insane what McKinnon did. And my immediate thought was, and I know this is dramatic, but my immediate thought was, oh man, the Red Wings have so far to go. It looked like one of those goals where like you were going... The player was going in on someone who was like their younger brother and yeah. just like ripped it ruthlessly and mercilessly on them. It's like an SNL skit where uh, it's, you know, they, they have a play where uh, it's a make a wish something or they're letting a kid uh, go yeah, in and score. Much. But instead of that, they just like, you know, block at the rim or like save whatever. Like you, you just go your absolute hardest. Actually, it was the inverse of the South Park episode. Where the Detroit Red Wings beat up on the... <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> but this time it was Colorado doing it to Detroit. It, and what's funny is we were talking pre-show, and I said, that McKinnon goal, and immediately, Evan, you said, Detroit has no one like that on their team. Well, I mean, 
It's not a very hot take. Few, very few teams have a uh, Nathan McKinnon. I was going to say Connor McDavid. I think I've probably said also that true. before. But yeah, man, would it be nice? We were talking last episode of the episode before about how the Leafs have three or four players better than every single player on the Red Wings. Colorado, I think, has five, which is just, you know, a unfair. Very, yeah, unfair. <laughs> a very clear indication of how far the Red Wings truly have to go to be cup contenders. Uh, the only part of that game I really want to talk about just for a hot second here and every day of my life I just become more like dad Brad the dad Crisco which is um, a very sad thing to realize but that goalie interference call I got a couple people who had some choice words for me when I was complaining about that call and that's fine Uh, but I'm still failing to see how they don't call Nathan McKinnon for intentional contact on Huso there like, I just cannot believe that NHL referees who who watch the game and know the way these guys play and operate and know how smart Nathan McKinnon is looked at that contact and said, oh, that wasn't intentional, but Hronix was. They might both have been, both have been but uh, saying Huso was in white the, the white paint and that's why it didn't count as goalie interference. And my thought was, well, he wasn't to start and he pulled his leg out. And not only that, McKinnon, it was intentional contact. He went in knowing exactly that he'd make contact in space that Huso had to start. I'm, I was blown away. I actually would have put money down that that call was coming back. And when they let that goal stand, I was like, I, Brad Crisco voice, I have no idea what goalie interference is anymore. I know what it is very, very clearly and very consistently when it's in the blue paint, which I thought that was because, again, that's where it started. But I'll I'm concede a, that his right foot in the end wasn't, and that's fine. That's a judgment call. I disagree, but I'll let yeah, that go. It was, it was close enough that it left the door open for interpretation. And anytime interpretation comes into the mix, as the NHL has proved time and time again, it will probably go the way you do not expect. So, you know, I'm... I'm of the mindset I would like less goals overall to be taken off the board. If there's incidental contact outside of the blue, hell, almost intentional contact out of the blue paint, sure, whatever. If you're not actively trying to hurt the goalie or running the goalie and the goalie's outside of his quote-unquote safe space, okay, whatever happens, happens, let the goal stand. So in principle, I'm okay with this being a goal. It was enough in the white that I'm, I'd be good with it. I I would like in the rule book this to be a goal. However, the standard the NHL has set over the last five years indicates this clearly should not have been a goal. So I don't know. On one hand, I'm kind of happy that they finally let a ticky-tack goaltender interference be a goal. I'm confused because that is not the standard they have set. Ah, uh, we've gotten back to the inconsistency of the NHL refereeing department. Because <laughs> Rasmus Dahlin, I think, would like a word with them as well. Yeah, I think, honestly, you go over like a one-year cycle and every team has two calls made against or for them that they can compare and go, I have no idea anymore. Yeah. Anyhow, I'm not going to dwell on that. The Red Wings got caved against a significantly better team, and it was um, not a fun time. Matinee games, we've talked about this before, they always feel sleepy. They always feel 
it's almost akin to national games where for the most part Red Wings don't show up. You're sleepy for one team. Yeah. The fans at uh, at Ball Arena had a blast. They had a ball. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, class. Uh, The Red Wings the next night played the Arizona Coyotes who came in, I believe, on a nine-game losing streak or something like that. It was uh, Detroit's first game at Mullet Arena. Okay. I, we've we've all made fun of Mullet Arena, the situation in Arizona. We have a lot of opinion. We've had varying opinions on what they need to do with that franchise, whether hockey can work in the desert, whatever. That's a cool atmosphere. I am willing it to. It never that was. It was never not going to be a cool atmosphere, right? Like we all knew, like it's going to be sweet for people in the arena and the student section and all that. Because when else do you get to see that other than when Arizona tanks again? The players too. The players too. Um, but it's still embarrassing. So the Red Wings took on the Coyotes uh, at Mullet Arena. Cool atmosphere, and uh, the Red Wings actually. Uh, that looked like a home game too, by the way. Oh yeah, not surprising. I think I have to imagine Arizona runs into that a lot. But for any team that travels well, and with a lot of like expats over in Arizona, which is a popular state to be in, akin to Florida, uh, most of the crowd looked like Red Wings fans. Someone actually tweeted at me, uh, a Coyotes fan. They were like, "It honestly feels like ninety-five to five Red Wings over Coyotes fans here. It kind of sucks. <laughs> <laughs> they almost have like Vegas syndrome." So that was what, like 40 Red Wings fans to five Coyotes fans? Statistically, or, yeah. Right around that? Yes. I'm sure a lot of ASU students are Red Wings fans too. Um, the Red Wings opened the game and actually I think played two and a bit periods. Much better hockey than Arizona. I mean, that looked like Detroit was coming in and they were getting right and playing for the most part really well against Arizona. They took the lead with a power play goal. Again, another Cider point shot tipped by Larkin. Cider's been incredibly productive with his point shots recently. I think that was like seven points in five games for him. Uh, and then it wasn't too long after where uh, Arizona tied it. Now, there was a point in the game where Connor Ingram was playing, you know, really great hockey. I think he, you can't take anything away from him. I think the shots were like 30 to 11 and the game was tied. And Coyotes obviously have Melka, and so they have another really good goaltender. They have Connor Ingram doing this against Detroit, um, and that's notable. But I also think it speaks a little bit to the finishing ability of Detroit's shooters. And people got mad and they pointed that out. I'm like, yeah, no, absolutely, that's a great point. Like the Red Wings, I think. I mean, not I think it's not going to be a surprise to anyone. They have a goal scoring problem. They really should have put that game away against Arizona before they even reached the third period based on how much more they were controlling the play. They were shooting them by triple deep into the game. And I know we've talked about this again, and I know it's a contentious topic, but yeah, the Red, how many above average shooters and finishers do the Red Wings have? Like above league average. It's not more than a few. So as good as Dylan Larkin is as a hockey player, is he an above average shooter and finisher? No, probably not. Um... Tyler Bertuzzi, no, probably not. Lucas Raymond, yes, I would argue. David Perron, yes, I would argue. Dominic Kubelik, yes. That might be it. That's where Milo ended. That might be it. So it's funny that you say that because uh, Prashanth recently recently pulled up a stat and um, he did note that per uh, Evolving Hockey's expected goals model, the Wings offense is actually scoring more than expect, expected based on the chances they're generating recently. More often than not, over the course of games, and we're going to talk about this in a second, it's goaltending that's letting them down. Yeah, but also the Red Wings don't generate a lot of scoring chances. Yeah. So if they don't finish at even an above average clip, they are 
very, very involved in the Bedard sweepstakes right now. So, I mean, that's that's what happened this game. The- also, the Red Wings aren't generally a high-volume shot team. They are a team that tends to overplay looking for the perfect shot. So, in theory, when you do end up with that perfect shot, you even a below-average finisher should score more often than they don't. So, in a flash, I think it was like a minute, under a minute in the third period, uh, the Red Wings came out. Robbie Fabry made a fantastic effort, like complete, you know, lights out. He gave up his body. Uh, I think it was uh, Richie uh, blew him up along the boards, but he had a great play, uh, banked the puck off the boards to himself, made a one-handed pass um, to Pugh Suter. Fabry took the hit, Suter went in and finished, and Detroit went up 2-1, to one, just further cementing how great Fabry's been. And then Perron, not too long after that, scored to make it 3-1. And we were all like, okay, here is... Here we go. Yeah. The, the dam has cracked. If that's the translation of the Red Wings' efforts all game. We were lamenting their shooting and finishing ability. They're finally starting to do it. It wasn't... It was two minutes and four seconds later that the Coyotes had it tied. Travis Boyd scored not a minute after Perron. And then a minute and 10 seconds after that, uh, Gunther, Dylan Gunther scored. And that was 3-3. And really, uh, Detroit lost, they lost their legs. They lost their control of the game after that. It was, I think, the last three minutes of regulation and like the first half of overtime. I actually said, I think I tweeted this too, do the Red Wings know they're not on a penalty kill? Like Arizona is all over them. Detroit is lucky even to have a point. Like Arizona was all over them in their zone. That was a... a, a I'm, there's no other way to say it. That was a stupid loss by the Red Wings. There was no reason they should have lost that game, period, and there's no reason it should have gone like that. I understand you're on a back-to-back. I understand you're on a back-to-back with travel. Sure, fine. It's the Arizona Coyotes. They lost nine times in a row coming into that game. It's not even just they lost nine games in a row. Detroit was running their show for 70-80% of the game up to that point. The first two periods, it looked like the Red Wings and the Coyotes belonged in different leagues. And that is really hard to do uh, for the Detroit Red Wings. I don't know if they've actually done that once this year where they were so comically better than another team. You go, okay. You know, they they had a lot of wins and they and they beat a lot of teams that were worse than them, but it wasn't like they were out there out shooting them, you know, 30 to 10, I think it was, or pretty close to that at one point. It's it's hard to wrap your head around how an NHL team who has been so consistently good in the third period lately, that is their period. And again, Prashanth referencing some stats he brought up, brought up stats to back that up. The Red Wings goal differential was in the top 10 in the NHL in the third period. You would think having a two-goal lead in the third period against one of the worst teams in hockey... That should have been, let me preface this, there's no such thing as an actual easy win in hockey, but that should have been as close to an easy win as you would get in the NHL. Certainly goes to show how razor thin the margins are, even at the NHL level. I mean, we did just watch Colorado just work Detroit, so yeah. I mean, that's kind of, you know, I'm talking against my my own point, but like, you give up and lose, have momentary lapses of of you know, focus and confidence, like teams will walk all over you, even if they are the Arizona Coyotes. And it clearly showed like blood was in the water 
and the Coyotes were all over it after they noticed the Red Wings had momentary lapses of their focus and that there was zero confidence that they could stay in this game. There's a... Right now, the Red Wings aren't getting a save, really. I don't, Huso's not been good. I think Huso has been a weird... He's been weird lately. Like He's been below average, I think, consistently, but still making a big save sometimes when he needs to. It's not like... And, and Hellberg's, I think, been a little worse than that, but more or less the same kind of structure. And uh, some people are saying, well, why aren't they getting flamed the same way as Ned? Well, Ned was getting hit in the chest and the puck was going in. That was different. Ned was... He had the yips. Uh but Huso and Helberg aren't giving Detroit saves right now. But it's not just them. Like you said, Evan, like d- defensive assignments are being blown. And not just by like one guy, by everyone. You can if you count the last like three or four games, you can probably find a goal that every single Detroit Red Wings defenseman has missed an assignment on. Or, you know, forward makes a, a bad play in the neutral zone or whatever it might be. It's they they're not carrying yeah, they're not dialed in. And it doesn't take a lot to get exposed, and that's what's happening right now. And they're not the only team. Of course, this is like this is a symptom of bad teams, and this is what bad teams do, and this is why they lose games in a league that's so tight from top to bottom. Uh, but it's just frustrating to watch right now. I don't want to be so reactionary to extrapolate, you know, how does this affect Detroit's rebuild? And and this is a going to define the entire season, but in a micro moment here, and in, in how the window and how the Red Wings are playing, like you cannot blame fans for being pissed off and frustrated at that loss against Arizona. Well, the whole point of, you know, adding these the players that they did in the offseason was to, you know, avoid losses like this and have a more professional culture. And, you know, we finish games and when we're up, we we close it out, especially against poor teams. So when these sorts of things happen, it's, it leaves a bad taste in your mouth for sure. Yeah. Well, um, I think there's going to be more to come on on the Red Wings structure when we get into the whole trade deadline primer and, and thoughts on how the Red Wings are built. But let's talk about right now, actually first, before we talk about the Ned news, uh, the Red Wings upcoming, they don't have an easier job uh, on Thursday night uh, on the road in Vegas. They have uh, the Golden Knights and then Saturday they host uh, Philly at home at 7 p.m. Eastern. So two more games before next episode in, in Vegas on the road is not going to give them an easy test to to wrap up the road trip. One and one, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Take your pick. Dealer's choice. Uh, okay, so the news that we talked about, uh, we've been kind of, you know, I don't want to say predicting this, but we were saying it's it's been in the cards for the Red Wings for a while now, months even. Uh, Alex Nedeljkovic was waived. He was waived on the heels of what was largely a successful conditioning stint in Grand Rapids, put up like a 920 save percentage, um, three, two and one record, uh, did what he needed to do there. I think it didn't bomb catastrophically. wasn't, uh, necessarily, uh, he wasn't perfect every game, but he did well. He, he played like an NHL goalie on a conditioning stint in the AHL Sunday. It was announced that he was on waivers. Uh, Eisman had uh, placed him on waivers. They had chosen to keep Husso and Helberg and, and were sending Ned uh, through the waiver process so that they can either lose him to another team or they would have the option to assign him to the AHL. So obviously he cleared 24 hours later um, and we'll get into the why he cleared in just a moment, but initial thoughts on uh, Ned being waived. Surprise, agree, disagree. Not really surprised. I... I- at the minimum, don't agree with the timing of it because, again, I feel like this is going to be one of those conversations we're going to look back at in five years ago. 
who really cares? Who, I, that's who, how I feel now. <laughs> who really cares? Like, you know, we're arguing over backup goalies and a guy who maybe never amounted to anything more than a backup. We're seasoned veterans at this conversation by now. <laughs> so, you know. The uh, amount of time we've dedicated to seventh <laughs> defenseman on this podcast. And now we're doing it with backup goals ending. Time is a flat circle. But it, it's worth talking about. So, I'm not going to get up in arms over waving a backup goalie, especially one who makes $3 million. I don't think this is the make or break of the franchise. And ultimately, I don't think this has any significant impact long-term or almost even in the short-term in the Red Wings in any meaningful way. So my overall opinion is who cares? If you want to get into the minutia of it, I don't get the timing. He had a successful conditioning stint. He was good. The two goalies above him in Detroit have been bad. Like, below average is the best compliment I can give them. Will you hear a conspiracy theory on this? In a second. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, Dad. I am, <laughs> shut up. I am, I am all for conspiracy theories, but you have a goalie doing well on a conditioning stint with two goalies struggling in the NHL. Nedeljkovic struggled in the NHL for basically the last calendar year. But if you were ever going to give him one final this is it, make or break. It makes sense to do it after a successful conditioning stint with two NHL goalies struggling. That's why I was surprised. This was why the timing confused me. I have a really big conspiracy as to what's going on, and I couple it with the Verona, but I'll let you do yours first. Okay, with the timing, because I thought the same thing, and, and a lot of people have. Ned, before the conditioning stint, zero trust from the team. He's been bad for the last year. Let's call a spade a spade. We all love Ned, and we know the talent he has, but nine-tenths of being a a consistent NHL goaltender is being a consistent NHL goaltender, right? And he just hasn't shown that for the last year. He's not been a good goalie, plain and simple, and that's putting it generously. Uh, So no trust from the team, but also optics to the rest of the league. They see a $3 million contract um, on the cap, and uh, they see terrible performance. So if they waived him then, there'd be 0% chance of him being claimed. Eisman gives him the, the conditioning stint, which was literally the last card he could play. It's not like they could keep swapping him and Hellberg. The league wouldn't approve that. There's only so many times you can play that hand. Uh, that was their last card to play. He had the conditioning stint. It was successful. That was Eisman's way of showing the rest of the league, hey, he just need to get his you know head right or whatever. Now I'm going to put him through waivers because I want him to be claimed. I want a team to take the cap off our books because I want as much flexibility as possible. Or if you want to double layer the tinfoil here, he has something massive in the works at the trade deadline. Or he just doesn't believe in paying the guy because he wants to minimize the actual dollar spent. I don't know. Uh, But the conditioning stint was showing off to the rest of the league because the trust was already gone with Nedeljkovic. And that part's not even a conspiracy theory. That, I think, is actually true. Based on what we've heard, uh, the team has has lost their their faith in him in net. So that is my, my tinfoil hat. I'm about on the same page with you on that. I, I think Eiserman wanted Nedeljkovic and Verona to be claimed because he wanted the, uh, what would that be, 8 million in cap space, uh, 8 million in change in cap space. What he's going to do with that cap space, I'll, I'll let you, the listener, uh, figure out because the Red Wings aren't hurting for cap space right now. They didn't need 8 million cap space unless they were trying to get a player who makes $8 million plus a year for a long time. Again, you fill in the blanks, but 
Schmo Borvat. It's pretty I, early to be clearing cap space for Connor McDavid, but I respect it. You have, <laughs> the uh, the the devil works in mysterious ways, and that's what I'm sure a lot of other GMs refer to Steve Eisman as. I don't think that's crazy, and you can even remove the uh, the conspiracy theory part of it. It's just that Eisman fundamentally, and, and what do we know about the way he operates? Is he believes in having players who earn their spots. Nadelkovic, I know you said one last chance, Brad, and that's kind of what I was uh, thinking about too. But at some point, the buck has to stop, and that was a while ago with Nadelkovic. Uh, Eisenman probably saw an opportunity to maybe... It's it's really in a, in a crappy situation. It's a win-win for him. Either someone claims him, or he has Ned down in Grand Rapids. Grand Rapids has had a lot of struggles this season. You know, ben Simon's team down there has had a lot going on uh like their performance has not been good they need a lot of stability a lot of that has to do with uh the performance in net so either uh ned gets claimed or you know ned is in grand rapids and continues to play well he didn't get claimed for obvious reasons the cap is tight 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 right now i know people were skeptical they said it's only three million dollars what are you talking about you really cannot overstate how stingy teams have to be right now, especially with the trade deadline approaching. You are not picking up $3 million for a backup goalie unless it was a situation uh, where you knew you were going to trade your starter or something like that. Um, And just those, the teams who need a backup goalie and the teams who can afford to take on the $3 million, those filters, those conditions, it just essentially becomes no one. So it wasn't a surprise. uh, Everyone we talked to, you know, around the league, they weren't surprised that he cleared either. So what's next for Ned? The honest, harsh truth is barring like a miraculous turnaround performance to the point where everyone shakes their head and goes, whoa, this guy just bought himself another chance and a monstrous discount on next contract. He's not coming back to the Red Wings next season, most likely. No. Ned right now is playing in Grand Rapids for his professional uh, future. He's he's playing for his next contract somewhere else in the league. Basically, he's just going to want to put together consistent performances to say, hey, I am a uh, NHL level goaltender. Uh, I didn't perform as I wanted to. I wasn't in the right situation, but I know I can if I get, you know, another shot, whatever. Goaltending is a little bit of like NHL coaching where you see a lot of names cycle through in and out. So I, I won't be surprised to see him get another opportunity, but unfortunately, because we love the guy, he's he's one of the easiest players I've ever seen to root for. Uh, and personally, we all know him and he's, he's been really great to us, uh, really great to chat with, but, um, I think his run in, in Detroit is, has been, it's unfortunate because we saw glimpses of what it could be, but ultimately it's, it's been disappointing and it's, it's over. This Red Wings team has a way of breaking goalies. We didn't we we didn't appreciate Jonathan Bernier enough. No, I will I will die on that hill to this day. What Jonathan Bernier, and really before uh, uh, Jimmy Howard's conditioning and injuries took over, uh, what those two did when this team was bad during like from the bad it? bad yeah, they did not get appreciated enough. Bernier was oh my god, I cannot believe what that guy did. It was Vesna worthy. I still I still firmly believe. That one off season where Toronto, I think, considered it or they needed a backup goalie, they should have brought him in. Yeah. But they couldn't. Think of the memes. Oh my God, that would have been so good. Okay. 
Uh, I want to let you know that this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast is proudly brought to you by NordVPN. Are you missing out on a game or your favorite show because it's not available in your region? Let me introduce NordVPN. Using NordVPN and a click of a button, you can watch and browse if, as if you're elsewhere in the world, making sure you never miss a game and can watch whatever content you'd like. No need to travel across the continent or oceans for your favorite team when NordVPN brings them right to you. With over 5,000 server options, no game or show is out of your reach. Using our special link, nordvpn.com slash wingedwheel, you can receive a huge discount on NordVPN's cybersecurity two-year plan plus four free months. We all love to binge, but privacy is a big deal too. NordVPN keeps your information encrypted so you never have to worry about your IP or location getting out. They've also doubled down on keeping you safe with their new threat protection feature. Say goodbye to intrusive website ads and malware. Even if you download an infected file, threat protection kicks in and deletes it before it makes a mess of your computer. Don't forget, there's literally no risk to you at all with their 30-day money-back guarantee. Give it a try, and if you like it, great. If you don't, they'll issue a refund, and you can pretend the entire thing never happened. Check out our special link, nordvpn.com slash wingedwheel, to get your subscription started today. All right. Speaking of Red Wings trades, a blockbuster. Oh, my goodness. Could not believe it. This was emergency podcast worthy. That's right. We were actually going to record on Thursday, but we decided to move it up a day because... Yeah. Uh, when the Red Wings acquires someone named Jasper Weatherby, you just have to... You clear the schedule. <laughs> the Red Wings made a, a depth move, uh, pretty much an AHL move with the San Jose Sharks, wherein they traded Kyle Criscuolo, uh to San Jose in exchange for Jasper Weatherby. Uh, Weatherby played 50, 50 games with the Sharks last season, totaling uh, 11 points. He is turning 25 in a few days, so uh, younger than uh, Chris Cuolo's 30. So they uh, age themselves down a little bit, um, probably makes the roster a little easier. You can start to consider the AHL veteran rule and everything like that. But uh, all in all, just a um, a little change, a little mix up in the Red Wings center depth down at the AHL level. Apparently there's only enough room for one Crisco in the Red Wings sphere. They chose the wrong one. Oh, they absolutely <laughs> they did. Up. Yeah. They absolutely I wish they would have consulted Evan and I on that That's one. That's right. We could have given Didn't them check the, the references. No. Jeez. Nobody calls the references. And this is proof. <laughs> well, so we're stuck with you now? This is, I'm going to talk to your manager. This trade this. sucked. <laughs> <laughs> well, your manager is actually a dog, so. Speaking that's of the a, that's trades. A, that's an awfully rude way to talk about Mika, but anyways. <laughs> no. Mika's got that dog in her. That's what she has. That's right. Uh, speaking of trades. I know it's early, but it's not really. We're like a month and a half away from the trade deadline. We've seen the way the Red Wings season is going. Uh, playoffs, I, I know they're technically not out of touch. They are six points out of a wild card spot currently, um, but they have Philly, Buffalo, Florida, and the Islanders ahead of them who are also trying for that second wild card spot. Based on the way the Red Wings are performing, it doesn't look terribly likely that they're going to make it competitive. Anything can happen. But right now, Red Wings fans are wondering what is going to happen at the trade deadline. Uh, he's in Sweden at the moment, so we couldn't have him on the show. But um, Max Boltman just wrote a piece for the Athletic Detroit that you should actually go read. Um, it was uh, uh, based on the Red Wings' uh, potential trade tiers. So he grouped them into things like uh, the classic rentals or short-term extension or trade chip, where he was talking about guys like Mata and, and Sunquist or um, do you sell high on guys like Rona Kublik Peron? There is a lot. Like there, this is one of the most uncertain trade deadlines uh, that the Red Wings have had. I think since Eisman entered the fold, because Eisman went in a very clear direction last offseason where he spent, 
he acquired, he bought, he, you know, took some lumps in free agency as you have to do when you're bringing in players in unrestricted free agency by adding the extra year to the cop deal and giving Sherrod a little bit more money uh, than maybe folks would have loved. Does he change course? Does missing Bertuzzi and Verona all season and seeing these results change the way the Red Wings approach the trade deadline based on how they expected? What happens next? Short answer? Yes. Um, I, I still remember our conversation from about 15 or so games ago where we were, the Red Wings were on that, what do they do precipice of, are they a buyer? Are they a seller? Do they stand pat? And I, I remember sitting here clearly and saying, Eisman has to be careful because this Red Wings team has busted their asses this year. They've improved. Everybody in that room is going to take it as a huge negative if you start selling guys off now because they're pushing for a playoff spot and you have to have to keep that in mind with any move you make at the deadline. That's gone. This team has went into the toilet since we talked about that. You know, could they bounce back this year? Sure, of course they could. Are they as bad as this recent stretch has been? No, I don't think so. Are they much better than that? I also don't think so. But what has become very clear in that stretch of time, this team has fallen out of the playoff race. This team has not done enough. This team has not especially recently competed hard enough. You know, the Coyotes game being the shining example in the last 10 minutes to have earned that right to have your team not be sellers at the deadline. The Red Wings have a lot of pending UFAs, some of them with some actual tangible value. There, At least a few of them have to be gone. One, the Red Wings are a bad team with a log jam at forward. That is a very good spot to be in if you want to be sellers because you can unload guys with value without absolutely nuking your team, right? You can you can unload, I'm going to pick a couple names off the top of my head here, a Bertuzzi, a Sunfist, and let's say a Mata. And this team doesn't take a gigantic step backwards, but you probably get a decent return for those guys. You've played with Bertuzzi, without Bertuzzi for most of the season, so you know you can survive that. Sunfist has you know mixed results. If you want to keep Sunfist move suitor, sure, on the table, whatever. Max did a phenomenal job of laying out the options they have. Adam Ernie, for some reason, might have some trade value. Well, he's been a healthy scratch on a bad team. You trade him. I'm not saying you trade or keep Wallman or Mata, but you should be listening. They're both penning UFAs, so you either talk contract or you get them gone. You, there's no other choice with these guys because it's a good problem. They have value. They have entered the category of you can't lose them for nothing. But it is clear as day this team is a seller. And if Eisenman does not sell, he's made a mistake. I'm no longer worried about the message in the locker room because I think hockey players know what's going on around them. They understand their situation. They're sitting in what, 11th, 12th in the Eastern Conference right now? They are not a playoff team. They're not going to be a playoff team. And, you know, the players can argue the roster's this, the coach that, the GM this. They were the guys on the ice that didn't get it done. So they, they all that goodwill they built up in the first two months of the season has gone the other way in the last six weeks of the season. So I hate to say it because we were hoping this wouldn't be the season for this, but the Red Wings are very clearly sellers, but they are at least primed, thanks to the offseason, to be able to do it without sending the team into a tailspin, and they have enough players that if they decide to do it, 
they should get some tangible value for the future. So uh, there's some news here that just says coming out of um, uh, actually Boston, which corroborates some stuff that we've been hearing. But before I get into that, hypothetical for you, Brad, because you said if Eisenman doesn't sell, it's a mistake. Okay, let's say he ships Bertuzzi for whatever return he can get for him right now. Yep. Um, I think Bertuzzi had his best game since being back against Arizona, and it still wasn't a complete game. He ships Bertuzzi out for whatever he can get, and one of Ernie or Sunquist or Perron or whoever, just one other person. Yep. Is that good? Depends on the return. Because, again, if you're getting a first-round pick, which I don't think is going to happen at this point, but if you get a first-round pick for Bertuzzi and let's say a third round pick for Sunfist. That's some pretty good value for the future. If you if you are happy with that and you don't want to break up the core of the team too too much and you have a positive outlook on contract talks with some of the other pending UFAs, I'm okay with that. Again, it's all context dependent. If you don't trade Mata because you're going to extend Mata, if you don't trade Wallman because you're going to extend Wallman, I'm good with that. I see value in trading them. I see value in keeping them. There's not many players on this team where I'm sitting here going, you have to trade that guy. But this is also the offseason. You're not losing guys for nothing. You have to continue to improve. So there's a scenario where they only make two trades that I go, okay, it's good. If they trade Tyler Bertuzzi for a second round pick and that's all that happens at the deadline, yeah, it's a miserable failure. But... I mean, it is what it is because we're unfortunately after watching the Colorados of the world and the Torontos of the world and some of the other, you know, clear talent discrepancies at the top of the lineup, we can't sit here and say the Red Wings don't need more kicks at the can. They, they need to find somebody. They need, you know, a, a prayer that they can get a Jason Robertson or a Sebastian Ajo in the second round. You know, hopefully Bertuzzi can somehow get them a first round pick and and another, you know, maybe a Pasternak late in the first round. I don't know, but they, they need to, they have to, they are running out of options as to how to acquire uh, a high end enough talent so this team can compete without having to rebuild again. So something we've been hearing uh, for a while, and actually we, we brought up multiple times on this podcast was... Oh, Horvat is a centerman without a home right now. Uh, it's because he lives in Vancouver. And that's right. It's very expensive over there. Yeah. He's trying to get paid. Uh, for a team to come out and essentially say it's a foregone conclusion that he's not going to be on the team next year, you know, their captain, whatever. It's, it's a very strange situation in Vancouver. Anyhow, uh, that's a situation that Eisman has tapped into. Uh, Bo Horvat, you know, uh, his, his connections to Detroit growing up was a fan of the team. Et cetera, would it's not been a secret that he likes the idea of potentially playing in Detroit, but don't make more of that than you know most players had a favorite team growing up. Uh, yeah. But it's not nothing in my mind. Uh, still, though, it's it's a it's a funny situation because if you're Steve Eisenman, do you try to acquire him in the offseason for free? Uh, do you even think that's going to be an option? Because right now Vancouver looks like they are not going to let the clock run out and just lose him for nothing. It looks like they're going to ship him out. Teams are going to push for a sign and trade, or a trade, a trade and sign, I should say. So trade with the understanding that he's going to extend. Um, you could do it the other way too. You could, but it almost, almost virtually never happens in the NHL. 
It's only ever happened once in NHL history, but it did happen this offseason. That's right. Yeah, with uh, Zach Hyman. No, Matthew Kachuk. Yeah, Matthew Kachuk, sorry. Matthew Kachuk yeah, was sorry. a sign They trade. theorized it with uh, Zach Hyman, but it never matured. It never. You're right. It was, it was Kachuk. Uh, so with Horvat, if Eisenman's interested and it's either, hey, uh, Dylan Larkin can't be our only good center and we need someone else, or it's, hey, I think I'm going to lose Dylan Larkin to the free market or I'm going to have to trade him and get him to waive his no trade clause. Bo Horvat is is someone that could reportedly be of interest. And uh, I believe it's Jimmy Murphy of Boston Hockey now uh, talked about teams that have been contacting Vancouver and who are interested. Uh, Boston's one of them, Colorado, Carolina, Seattle, and Detroit. So Who has cap space, Seattle and us? Well, cap space, anyone can make cap space. You're bringing a player like Bo Horvat, you can... You'll do what you have to do. Boston would have to make some pretty big moves considering they have to sign Pasternak and other players here. So there's there's a lot on the table, but you're bringing in a Bo Horvat. You're like, yeah, we'll deal with that when we have to deal with it. Yeah, good GMs can make cap space. How many off-seasons and years have we and every other hockey fan looked at Tampa Bay, Chicago, Pittsburgh, and went, ah, now they're screwed. Now the decline begins. There's no way. They're up against the cap. They're in DLTI. They're screwed. And then... You're sitting here going, they're never going to be able to wiggle their way out of this. And then they wiggle their way out of that, and we just sit here, ah, well, nevertheless. Um, <laughs> what if the Red Wings let some other team pay the ludicrous price to get Bo Horvat for the remainder of this season in the playoffs and then sign him in the offseason? It's an option. Like, it, it's... Like, let Boston pay the price because they are making one last push with the Marshawn Bergeron core and... Uh, and the Red Wings swoop in at the in the offseason once they've had their run and they get them for Be, uh, essentially no assets lost. Because that's probably not going to happen. Yeah, I know. <laughs> because, and I'm not even going to say that's not going to happen because Bo Horvat wouldn't sign with Detroit in the offseason for all the reasons Ryan laid out. I think Detroit would be uh, an appealing uh, destination for Bo Horvat in the offseason. It's because the NHL is, over the past few years, less and less inclined to trade for true rentals. Look at Boston last year. They swung big on a defenseman and they traded for Hampus Lindholm. And what did they immediately do when they acquired Hampus Lindholm? Extended him. Extended him. If Patrice Bergeron has informed the Bruins he is not likely to come back next year, there's your cap space for Bo Horvat. They could trade for him, extend him. Detroit never gets a sniff at him. Eisenman might have to pony up the draft capital, the prospect capital, if he wants Bo Horvat because... His only option might be at the trade deadline if he is dead set on getting Bo Horvat. That's the reality of it. Do I think Bo Horvat's an elite NHL center? No. But what have we talked about forever? Can you win a Stanley Cup with Dylan Larkin as your number one center? And our answer is no, unless you have two Dylan Larkins. Bo Horvat's in that tier. Now, again, is this the perfect recipe? No, because then you need a David Pasternak on the wing. Boston has that. Detroit doesn't. It can be done. Detroit's going to have to get creative for the reasons we've laid out for the last couple years. They lack elite talent. They need to figure something out. Could Bo Horvat be one of those solutions? Absolutely. So here's the thing, though, and this is going back to the things Max listed in his article he, he had one tier called the nuclear option, and that was under Larkin. I think there's a responsibility that we have to talk about the fact that this could go the distance between Eisenman and Larkin 
and we could see no resolution. We've given every indication, and and that's still I think where my money is uh, that this is you know going to get resolved. It's gonna it's gonna get worked out. They're gonna find the deal, um, but we need to talk about the the possibility, no matter how uh, unlikely you think it might be, that it's not gonna work out. If you're Steve Eisman and and you know on February twentieth, February twenty seventh, you're like. You go to, to Larkin and his agent, you say, is this getting done? Obviously not in those words, but you assess how close you are. And if your honest assessment is that this thing's not getting done by the end of the season, don't, don't you think there has to be a serious consideration, if not almost a responsibility to try to then trade him? Obviously Larkin would have to waive his no trade clause, but the, this, it, the biggest risk wasn't you know, letting it run to the new year or, or letting last July 1st cross over and, and Larkin's no trade clause kicked in. It's now, it's this trade deadline because if you go past this trade deadline and you're not trading Larkin. It's got to get done at that point. It's got to get done. Now, uh, so that's complicated in and of itself and we should talk about that. But the the Horvat thing, and if you don't believe in Horvat, you have to understand Eisenman has to be looking for top end centers everywhere. Like Evan said at the top, you can't really acquire elite talent anywhere outside of the draft easily, but you still have to try because you can't predict the draft. You don't know what's going to happen in the lottery and, and you only know who you're going to have once you actually get to the draft. So Eisenman is going to be trying to either cover himself by bringing in a player like Horvat or whoever else, or this could be a double whammy. He could get Horvat and keep Larkin. You have both and boom, this team has changed for the better in a, a massive way. This is like all eventualities are here you can go in any direction. It's kind of horrifying, honestly, if you're a Red Wings fan. Yeah. I need to make something clear here because this is the number one talking point I see when discussing the potential of Larkin not signing his extension before the deadline and people going, okay, well, he'll let it go right down to the wire. He did it with Steven Stamkos. He can do it with Dylan Larkin. I need to make this very clear. Those are not comparable. We do not have a Nikita Kucherov, a Vasilevsky, and a Hedman. Well, maybe. <laughs> when that happened in Tampa Bay, as Evan perfectly put, Tampa was still going to be a really good team if Stamkos walked. They won a Stanley Cup where Steven Stamkos played all of four minutes in their playoff run. Steve Eisman could afford to play chicken with Steven Stamkos because if he lost, there was still light at the end of the tunnel. He won... He got him at a great deal. They went from an elite team to a back-to-back cup champion team. That ain't the Red Wings. If Dylan Larkin walks for nothing, and hypothetically, Eisenman doesn't land Bo Horvat, that just set this rebuild back years. Because they do not have anybody to replace him in the system, and getting someone of Dylan Larkin's caliber outside of the system is even more unlikely. And throwing it's, Marco Casper into the fi- literally into the fire is wildly unfair for him and terrible um, prospect management. It's made worse by the fact that this is a Connor Bedard year. Like imagine Connor Bedard year was next year and this was like the Slavkovsky draft. You could make it would be way easier to stomach this eventuality. But the Connor Bedard, Fantilli, Carlson, Michkov, with how stacked that top like what do you want to call it eight is. And especially at the top there where you have a guy who could be in the mix with, you know, Matthews or even McDavid in terms of his impact on a team. That 
fair or not, in your mind, it raises the stakes for every GM who made a decision to tank or not. Uh, it's an ugly part of the game, but that rebuilds are ugly. And what makes this situation worse if it doesn't get resolved before the trade deadline is it might not matter because Larkin has the no trade clause. Eisman could see this contract negotiation going sideways, go, all right, Dylan, I can't lose you for nothing. We need to trade you. Can you waive your no trade clause or give me a list of teams? And Larkin could look at him and go, no, I, I'm I not just, moving twice. I usually when that happens, players are like, we'll give a list of like two, three, four teams that they'll go to to make it feasible. And I, I, I could think that's the case, but we won't know that if the trade deadline comes and goes with no contract for Larkin and no trade for Larkin, that could mean Dylan didn't waive his no trade clause. It could mean Eiserman was so comfortable in how close negotiations were. He he's willing to ride it out. It could mean Eiserman's willing to play chicken with Larkin, even though in my opinion, he really shouldn't because again, the situations are so night and day different. They're not comparable. And we, and we can't know, we won't know, and we'll have to continue with this uneasiness, but under the hypothetical that Larkin is willing to waive his no trade clause, if Steve Eiserman does not feel optimistic about this contract getting done with the Detroit Red Wings, he has to trade him. He has to. Yes, I understand it sets the rebuild back two to three years, but if Eisenman has no choice because that contract is not going to get done, well, he's going to have to set the rebuild back two to three years. But you know what helps the rebuild? The absolute haul you would get for Dylan Larkin. Yeah. And not to be, you know, pile on the the, the doom and gloom, but... Because this is all still a hypothetical, just so... Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, not to pile on the doom and gloom of the trade deadline, but when you read, you know, tr- trade deadline articles that are outside sort of the Red Wings sphere, like, the only names that really get mentioned that I've seen are Dylan Larkin and very rarely the uh, Philip Heronic. Like, I don't see a lot of people... I think Tyler Bertuzzi's name is in the mix. I've, I've actually heard Tyler Bertuzzi's yeah, but, name in the mix. <laughs> So many other teams have wingers who they're looking to part with who've played NHL games this year and have produced that are much more appealing to a, a true contender. We need to make I mean like if a, we can if we can be a snake oil salesman and convince a team that Tyler Bertuzzi <laughs> is a playoff uh, performer and hasn't played this year. Which he, I think he, then my God, that's the greatest thing we could possibly do. But I don't think no that's offense, a hard sell. Like, there, we're not getting a haul for Tyler Bertuzzi because I don't see a lot of articles saying teams are lining up for Tyler Bertuzzi. I saw um, a good article from Frank Saravalli who was talking about good under-the-radar trade acquisitions teams could make to bolster their team. Like, you know, those those not top-tier but maybe good value players that could really, really push a team over the top. Yeah, Bertuzzi was on that list. So when you break both hands and you miss most of a season, that's yeah, what happens. Yeah. So if you're expecting, you know, first round picks plus for Tyler Bertuzzi anymore, that's not happening. I uh, I still think it could. I still think if it could, I think the sell is, hey, Tyler Bertuzzi is rusty. He missed most of the season. He's on a team that's not scoring. And we just brought in a new coach that is getting him to not focus on his offense and instead minimize risk. And so there's been some 
he's he's basically trying to fit into those those shapes right now, which is a lot different. But if you put him onto your high flying offense and you want a gritty in your nose, piss off player who can still produce, crash the net, get into the dirty areas, and make a nice play, that's what Tyler Bertuzzi is. I think you could sell that to a team. You absolutely could. Like here's the second. Yeah. Yeah. I. And again, Red Wings fans, I know, don't have the fondest memories of this guy. But if you look at production versus what they got at the trade deadline, different types of players, et cetera, et cetera. Athanasiu is probably the closest comparable the Red Wings have had. Athanasiu is coming off a 30-goal season, exactly 30 goals. Bertuzzi is coming off a 30-goal season, exactly 30 goals. The only difference was Athanasiu was healthy in his trade year. Bertuzzi hasn't been. And uh, they were not able to get a first-round pick for Athanasiu, which is something we thought wasn't likely but could have been possible throughout that year leading up to the trade deadline, and ultimately they settled for two seconds. I there, There's a lot of similarities here for me in, in terms of what I'm expecting if that is the route they choose to go with Bertuzzi. Can I, do, can I ask, uh, ver- continue with the hypotheticals, who is the one team, maybe two teams you would hate to see Dylan Larkin go to? Who would be buyers at the trade deadline like a, a true contender Boston yeah Boston would suck if they swing and miss on Bo Horvat and and Detroit does throw Larkin out there that would <laughs> kill that would kill me <laughs> that would suck hard uh, I don't want I anywhere Larkin goes is gonna kill me like I don't want him to be traded I've said numerous times you you can't trade him at this point you I shouldn't say can't trade him you can't lose him because it sets the rebuild back however many years. But we won't trade him to Boston. <laughs> but you can't lose him for nothing. This isn't Tampa Bay. So this is a different circumstance, different timelines, different negotiations, different restrictions. You can't okay. lose him. You can't lose Dylan Larkin, but you can't lose him for nothing. This what if sucks. he went to Pittsburgh? Okay, okay. I just Shut up. You. Don't. Oh, Evan. <laughs> Evan, 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 this conversation is already slowly <laughs> killing me inside. I the hypothetical of trading Larkin uh, hurts me. Uh, we are to my car core. off the rails. We have circled the earth, rejoined the rails, and Evan uh, just was a landslide that pushed us off again. I need to cap off because this was a hypothetical, and I think every I think for Brad's heart's sake, he's old. Remember, Brad's you know he doesn't have a lot of time left with us. He's, you're nearing what 120 or something like that. Uh, that was a hypothetical because I think it's important to talk about those eventualities or possibilities. In your opinion, what still is the most likely outcome with Dylan Larkin based on the information we have? The most likely is still he extends in Detroit. Everything we've heard, which isn't much, is that negotiations were going well. There wasn't a huge gap. Both sides want to get it done. We don't have a lot of information coming out because it's Eisenman, but all the information that has come out for the most part, or almost all of it, has been trending towards positive. I haven't heard the, this is going sideways, they're not close. We've not heard those rumors yet. I still think Larkin's a Red Wing next year. That That's still the favorite. That's still what I want to happen. That's still what I think is going to happen. But we talked about it as a hypothetical, but that might not be a hypothetical very soon. Like we are getting near the tipping point and something has to give. So we, us as a podcast and Steve Eisman as the GM 
has to explore the other end of this if it doesn't. Yeah, I, I still think the most likely outcome is um, that that Dylan Larkin extends in Detroit. But yeah, we I think, you know, as as podcasters, we need to have that more difficult conversation on what the other side of the coin might look like. It is going to be a very, very, very interesting buildup to the deadline. One thing that I want to add here before we wrap up the trade deadline conversation for now is Brad talked about this team needing to be a seller. We obviously just talked about uh, uh, a way where Detroit might be a buyer with Bo Horvat being on the market. And you'll notice that none of us scoffed at the idea. Um, I don't think necessarily that the Red Wings have to be, you know, it's not black or white. They don't need to be just a seller or just a buyer. This is a very dynamic position that the Red Wings are in, partly because of the nature of where they're at in the rebuild, partly because of the very uh, distinct move in terms of adding the in free agency that I made last offseason. He put him in this position. Uh, it's not necessarily bad. It's not necessarily good. I'm of the mind that you can't really make firm declarations, but you're going to move in a direction on, on March 3rd here. Um, and we know big swings are potentially on the table. So... Uh, uh, eyes wide open. We'll do our best to uh, keep Brad's heart in good shape here. I don't know if I mentioned it in the Horvat conversation. So the last piece I will mention, because again, you you brought it up and it, it flagged me. You are not trading for Bull Horvat without a contract extension in place. No, 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 no. You are not bringing no. Bull Horvat in as a rental. Yeah, we if, have to do a better job of stating the obvious, but that's... And, yeah. and Rutherford's, are, Rutherford's already said he's letting other teams talk to Horvat, essentially. So if the Red Wings can negotiate with him, they can come to terms on a contract, and then they can come to terms with a trade on Vancouver. Yes, that is and should be on the table. But if the only option to get Bo Horvat is acquire him as a rental and then pray you can extend him at the end of the year, no, absolutely not. And I don't think Eisenman would do that, but I just want to clarify that should not be on the table. All right. Uh, I know we're running long here, but uh, there's obviously something uh, we have a lot of NHL stories that we want to cover. Um, we haven't even covered uh, Nila Lapusanova's um, amazing, amazing performance as a 14 year old at the Women's Worlds. Uh, there's more to, that's happening in Vancouver. Uh, Robin Leonard is his uh, exotic snake farm is going bankrupt. Uh, what a weird year. Eric Carlson is having a career year and San Jose is trying to trade him as if he's, you know, 10 years younger, all that. Uh, but the biggest story in hockey right now, and, uh, you know, if you're tired of hearing this, you can look at the timestamps and, and skip if you'd like. But um, Ivan Provorov uh, didn't take the ice last night for the Philadelphia Flyers. It was their pride night. They were doing a uh, fundraiser where they wore their special uh, pride jerseys during warm-up. Those jerseys were going to be auctioned off. The money was to go to the Flyers. I believe it's their team foundation where they... Um, they use that money to uh, pretty much bring hockey to underserved uh, communities. Uh, Provorov didn't take the pregame warm-up because he uh, cited um, his his religion as um, it was counter to his religion, didn't want to take the ice, and um, uh, essentially skipped pregame warm-up and still played the game. Now, uh, that is obviously notable. It's, I think, the first time it's happened to this degree I want to say off the top, it's not the first time a player had didn't want to take part in a pride something. It's just been a lot quieter. Uh, a lot of times teams will have like pride tape on their sticks and, and players won't put it on. And sometimes players say, I just don't like it. And sometimes they don't say anything and you, you know what they're saying there. Um, but that was a, a really kind of, um, 
that was a disappointing situation uh, for the LGBTQ community. Uh, when you compare it to the NHL's stance on hockey is for everyone, and that's really the point of those Pride Nights. It's just to say, hey, doesn't matter if you're um, gay, queer, trans, whatever. Uh, this sport is for you if you want to watch, if you want to play, if you want to come to a game. Uh, hockey genuinely is for everyone. And so it's unfortunate that in a night where um, uh, Van Riemsdyk and Lawton were running really great initiatives and, and kind of took it upon themselves to to make the most of uh, a night to to bring awareness. Um, this was the story. The NHL released uh, basically the Flyers tried to preempt the situation before comments were released, and, and they reaffirmed their you know commitment to hockey is for everyone and everything like that. The NHL released their own statement, uh, which if you read between the lines was our purview or our prerogative is that hockey is for everyone. Uh, it's up to the teams on what initiatives they want to run and players are allowed to participate in which ones that they want. We encourage them to express their opinions on various social, et cetera, et cetera. You read between the lines, the NHL doesn't, didn't have the legal ground to, you know, scratch Provorov for that reason, because he cited his, uh, religious views. And so he's protected in their mind, uh, uh, on based on that so okay i'm tired i'm tired of stories like this i'm tired of having to talk about stories like this i've talked at length on this podcast numerous times over numerous reasons that hockey is a sport it's a game it's meant to be fun it's meant to be the distraction from the real world but time and time again things come up where that's a luxury we don't we don't get and the real world smacks us right in the face because the people playing this game are humans that what they do affects the people and society around them and here we are again i am sick of people finding reasons to not like other people just in society in general not even sports I get he cites his religious beliefs and I fully support anybody, you know, practicing the religion, following your beliefs, following the, you know, whatever it is you are. Doesn't mean you get, you should put down an entire group of people. I mean, Tony D'Angelo is wearing the pride Jersey and we know his background and he's spoken about his background publicly. He's spoken about his upbringing. Can we just stop using your upbringing, your religion, where you come from, a million reasons, I don't care the reason, to shun people, to not like people. Hockey is for everyone, and that's a great initiative because it's a true statement. It's a game. Everybody should be included. Nobody should be made to feel like they're not included. And if this guy can't put on a jersey because his religion says so, you know, I can feel some kind of way about that. He can feel some kind of way about that. I strongly disagree with it. Put the jersey on. Support your teammate. Imagine if Luke Prokop got traded to the Philadelphia Flyers tomorrow. How would that go over? Would Provorov welcome him into the room with open arms? Would he be a good teammate to him? I question that now. And, you know, I don't, I'm not going to sit here and admit I know anything about the Russian Orthodox religion, but I know there are other Russian Orthodox players in the league. Several. Kaprizov in Minnesota. Someone went and checked. Did Kaprizov wear the pride jersey when Minnesota did it? He did. Other players who are Russian Orthodox, they participated. 
they didn't cite their religious beliefs and they helped support their fellow people. I don't want to talk about hockey players here. I want people. And again, I fully back anybody to practice whatever religion. Um, This is not meant to be a religious bashing thing. I want to make that very, very clear. But this is, I want to be also very clear, do not find excuses, find reasons, find whatever to exclude people. Hockey is for everyone was something that I doubted for a long time because I, in my experience growing up, there were just so many barriers to the game. But I genuinely do believe that the game has changed for the better and that they they are maybe not perfectly, but the league and, and the powers that be in hockey are working to make the tent bigger, so to speak. Um, I want to focus somewhat on the positives. Uh, look at Ben Reemsdyke. Look what uh, uh, Scott Lawton did uh, with with how they really kind of took the mantle uh, and with the initiatives that they are hosting and driving and putting their names and faces on. Um, that really should have been the story. Brad, you, you made a point. You know, there are players who probably... And you said it very respectfully, and I'm going to say it in a way that's it's probably people aren't going to like it, and and that's fine. But uh, the the social and political views of a lot of the players in this league aren't going to align with the social and political views of a lot of the fans, and that is a given. And that's not that doesn't mean you know right versus left or uh, whatever it might be. It is just a universal like that is going to apply no matter what stance you have on whatever social or political issue. Uh, but when it comes to something like this, for Almost universally, the players, they just put the jersey on because it's not about, it's not you put the jersey on and all of a sudden uh, uh, you're gay or you're you're the loudest uh, ally to the community in the world. And, and those aren't bad things. Those are great things. Um, but it's just saying hockey is for everyone. Part of Provorov's statement was, I respect all people. You know, I believe he believes that. But it is the simplest act to to do the bare minimum. Like the bar is so low. The bar is so low. It doesn't cost you anything to be a nice person. No. So it's, I, I, I fully understand how the NHL can't, you know, there's only so much they can intervene because yes, it's a, it's a religious expression and, you know, we only have so much time on this podcast and that's, that whole, uh, uh discussion isn't for here, but, uh, there are people in that room the players in that room who you know weren't fans of that decision. Provorov has already had a strained relationship with the Flyers. He's on the outs. He could be looking for a trade soon anyhow, which that's a, a whole other Just situation. Just his value, I think. Yeah. Uh, it is a simple statement to make for the fans uh, of your game. And it it's just so disappointing. But for anyone listening who, uh, you know, is part of that community, please know, please focus as much as you can on the fact that hockey genuinely is for everyone, focus on the positives from that night. Focus on how far this league has come. Uh, uh, look at the players who are not afraid to kind of step forward and uh, take the mantle and drive these these initiatives forward. Um, it's unfortunate. And again, people aren't going to like to hear this, and maybe fairly. It's unfortunate, but I think the reality is you are going to see Provorovs pop up from time to time. Uh but for the most part, look how much the league is genuinely committed to to making the tent bigger. Hockey is for you as long as you want it to be. And we can't minimize this either because I don't know what the Flyers fan base is. Obviously, we're not involved in the Flyers fan base. But 
you know, we've talked before, every fan base is essentially the same to just varying degrees and numbers. And I know the Red Wings fan base has a huge LGBTQ following. I follow a ton of them on Twitter. They follow me. We interact daily. It's a great community. It's a ton. They are fans just like everybody else. And Provorov not wearing that jersey is a giant middle finger to them. The Flyers probably have the exact same type of fans, the exact same groups, the exact same positivity and everything. And and what Povarov did, like I said, giant middle finger to them. And if I was a Flyers fan, that would not sit right with me. I'm not a Flyers fan, and that doesn't sit right with me. And, I mean, it, it, hockey is for everyone's a, a blanket statement, but it, it's it's true. It really is. And, you know... I want to sit here and bash the NHL and bash John Tortorella for their responses, but because he cited religious beliefs, that is a legal black hole that Gary Bettman would want no part of, and I'm sure Flyers management was telling Tortorella, be careful what you say, because, you know, they they had to give nothing statements because of fear of legal repercussion. I understand that, but I, I still don't like it. The responses were soft. They were underwhelming. You know, it's good that the NHL supports this initiative and all that, but when when someone pushes back against the initiative, you got to take a stand, and they didn't, and it was disappointing. Again, I understand why. I I fully understand why they had to be very legally careful, but it's still disappointing. The um, folks who are in favor of uh, Provorov's decision is the argument, no matter what platform it takes on, is is usually uh, he's free to express his religious beliefs and he's as the league stated you know legally and by rule he's free to not participate in this and yes absolutely and there is a freedom to respond um the, the fan base ha- is free to respond in terms of what they think and right now that's where we are the the no one took a step that crossed any legal boundaries uh, folks have different opinions on that, but yeah, you're free to to think and express, uh, and folks are free to think and express based on what you think and express. Yeah, Provorov had every right to do what he did. Nobody should ever take that right away from him, but he is free to express his opinions, but his opinions aren't free from consequence, and the consequence doesn't have to be legal. Everything we're saying right now is kind of his consequences for what he chose to do. And I'm sure a good chunk of the Flyers fan base is saying the same thing. So, you know, it's the world we live in. You got to walk around the legalities. You got to walk around the social impacts and everything tends to fall in the gray. But, you know, at the end of the day, support your fellow people, support society, support, like stop finding excuses to exclude people is all, all I ask. Except for uh, if we we're trying to get Brad off the podcast. Evan and I That's have been right. trying yeah. for years. Yeah. We've sent you through waivers so many times. You know how many times you've been through podcast waivers? And Leaf fans. Yeah, that's true. And Leaf fans. Sorry, Steve. <laughs> All right, folks. Uh, we're going to jump into overtime uh, with the limited time left we have on this episode. Uh, this uh, overtime period is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Patreon.com slash Winged Wheel Podcast. If you want to support the show, 
you get access to the Winged Wheel Podcast Discord. Uh, you get access to uh, all of our uh, giveaways. You're automatically entered, and we are giving away two tickets to every Red Wings home game this season, the majority of those going straight to Patreon supporters. And you get access to our uh, special overtime episodes that are recorded right after these where we let loose read out any questions that didn't make it to the main show uh, and just kind of uh, shoot the breeze. So it's uh, good fun, patreon.com slash podcast if you want to join the Dub Dub Club. Uh, Adam Bybee says, to what extent do you believe that the Wings – Offensive uh, inconsistency is related to the inconsistency in forward lineup. I checked the numbers regarding how many minutes of ice time each team's most used line has. The Stars have the most used with 420 minutes. The Wings are in dead last by a mile with their most used line having just 87 minutes. Um, I First of all, injuries shake things up a lot. Secondly, talent begets consistency more than consistency begets talent. Does that make sense? Like good teams will find their mix. You know what you're getting from elite talent every night for the most part. And I, I it's funny. I have my F1 shirt on, uh, uh, teams with really great cars. Uh, they have a, what it's called a wider setup window. So you can set your car up in a lot of different ways, tune it up a lot of different ways for a different race, uh, with different road conditions, different air conditions, whatever, and still have it perform close to its maximum. The less talented you are as a team, the smaller your setup window is for your car, so to speak. Yeah, it's it's not a deployment issue for the Red Wings. It's, I mean, I hate repeating it. Sound like a broken record. It's a talent issue. Sergeant Slim Jim says, hey, hockey bros, uh, watching Red Wings hockey has been pretty rough these last few years, so I've been trying to become an intelligent watcher of hockey. Since being smart about anything is an uphill fight for me, I joined the club, man. Uh, I'm asking for your advice. What are some things that I, as a filthy, casual, non-player fan, can look for when watching a game besides the obvious? Goals, big hits, or shots on goal? Thanks in advance, and let's go Red Wings. I love watching players without the puck who can find the, the open spots on the ice. You know you ever hear an announcer talk about the puck tends to follow that guy? That's not a nothing statement. The puck tends to follow that guy because he consistently puts himself in the right spot when he doesn't have the puck because he's reading the plays, anticipating where it's going. And I always I always find that fascinating. And, you know, we always throw out the hockey IQ term, but that's one of the big components of it. Um, I'll give you a player on the Red Wings right now who I, I think is really demonstrating that really early in his career. Jonathan Bergen. That guy doesn't skate that fast. He's not big but he produces constantly. Why? Because when he pucks on his stick, he sees the ice really well. And when the puck's not on his stick, he sees the ice really well. So just, just little intricacies like that. I love watching about, cause it's even stuff I, I'm, my brain can't process. I don't see that stuff on the ice. So I love watching someone who can. Uh, Andres B says, what does the wings rebuild look like if they trade Larkin and Bertuzzi, but fall to a top five draft position or win the lottery outright? Thanks pretty similar to what it is just uh extended yeah i mean if they land leo carlson i'm sure it'll help the rebuild if they land fantilly it'll help the rebuild but if they land Connor bedard that it should shave time off the rebuild after you factor in losing larkin like it's not uh doesn't accelerate things right now yeah no matter where they land in the draft they're not getting better next year if they don't have Dylan Larkin. That's the reality of it. And they're probably not going to be better for a couple years. So all you're hoping for at that point is whoever they draft is 
better than Dylan Larkin. So if they get a Connor Bedard, obviously Bedard's going to be a lot better than Dylan Larkin at his peak. Fantilli's got a chance. Michkov has a chance. Carlson has a chance. There's guys in this draft who, if their projections follow through, will be better than Larkin. So you just hope the Red Wings get one of those guys. And again, there's no way around the extending part of the rebuild because without Larkin, you're not making the playoffs next year or the year after. But the long-term outlook maybe is a bit better. Uh, Udalali has a uh, break glass in case of of an emergency type trade here. Uh, with the LA Kings, where I think Detroit is sending Larkin and a second if needed. And Detroit, in return, gets Byfield, their 2023 first and their 2024 first. What do you think? The Kings are a good team, so I don't think those first-round picks are going to be in the top half of the first round, so keep that in mind. And if you're not picking in the top half of the first round, you are almost like 95% not going to get a player out of those that are as good or better than Larkin. I'm not super high on Byfield. I wasn't huge on him going into his draft, and everything he's done since has not improved my opinion on him. He's a good player, but I, again, I don't think he's going to be a top-line player. So if that's the best trade offer you get, you take it, and that's probably going to be close to the trade offer you get for Larkin. But And that's obviously with that team signing an extension with Larkin uh, beforehand. But I don't love it, but you might have to. If that's like a, uh, you have to uh, jump ship because you know the Larkin contract's not getting done, you could do worse than that trade for sure. For yeah, sure. absolutely. Um, and it depends too. If Larkin um, does what Taylor Hall did with Buffalo and only give like a one or a two team trade list, you might just, you probably won't get anything as good as that. Yeah. Uh, Clint Banesh says, two questions I have my head scratching. One, you can take out a goalie as long as they're not in the blue paint, but if that were a normal skater, it'd be interference. Yeah, Clint, I think they just got that one wrong. Like, I understand I'm biased, but I really think they got that one wrong. Secondly, he said, did I hear correctly uh, when Ken said that in OT, if you pull your goalie uh, and lose, you do not get the OT loss point? That is correct. It's one of those funny quirks. Um, Sergey Fedorov in the KHL is famous for pulling his goalie in overtime, uh, which I think is hilarious. Is a, you know, Big brass ones move. But yeah, if you pull your goalie in overtime uh, and you get scored on, you do not get the point. It's been a thing for a little while. I don't know when they added it, though. How long has that been around? But yeah. Without any knowledge, context, or research on the subject, I'm just going to go ahead and make a guess that they implemented it when they saw uh, Buffalo and Arizona's race to the bottom for McDavid. (laughs) (laughs) Man, that is, it's funny how people are remembering that now that uh, we have a similar style Connor Bedard. Did you hear Chicago, uh, Davidson, talk like pretty, as openly as you'll ever hear a GM talk about tanking? Like Lucas Reichel is not playing with the Blackhawks right now. He's down with the Wolves. Uh, Even though he absolutely should be. I was told the draft lottery would stop the tank. Uh, Was I lied to? Well, I mean, the rules have kind of gone back in favor of the worst team in the league over the last couple of years. Right? So... Why do I have a feeling in 10 years we're going to be talking about how the way the draft lottery rules changed just absolutely positively screwed the Red Wings? We've done that every... It's But, like, we're going to have a retro... Like, you know how, like, you all... Everybody, us included, we always overreact to something in the moment. Like, 10 years from now, we're going to go look back and go, no, that actually screwed us way more than we thought. Yeah. If it wasn't for... Like, think of how well the Red Wings did to get Raymond inside or where they did. If that didn't happen and those drafts kind of went according to 
draft order and the talent was dispersed evenly, my God, this team would be screwed. Yeah. Like they didn't win a lottery, but holy shit, did they get lucky on those two. All right, folks, uh, we're going to wrap up this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. We're going to be back with you on Sunday. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. We'd like to thank the sponsors of this episode, NordVPN, uh, as well as all of our listeners, new and old, our name-level supporters on Patreon. Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, uh, Ake Fur, Armchair GM slash Genius, Nick Perks, Terry Driver, the number 69 cry, and Ryan Hannes, been in Slam Jamathong, Glenn Brabham, uh, Aiden White, Matthew M. Rice, Croner's Left Knee, uh, Carl, Brutana, Nanaluski, Chimmy, Chris P, Citizen High Five, Connor Scovey, Coyote Season Tickets in Tempe, Denny's Gamer Girl, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Give Blood, Fight Probert, Red Hot Ronick, Hassam Al Qasem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Joseph Barry, Kalen Wood, Kevin James, King Tone, Las Ensaladas Picantes, Marcus, Matt McKay, Michael Edland, Nadelkovich, Goalie Number One, Nicholas Fritz, RA, Rock, Paper, Scissors, Shoot. Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Send It Seawolf, That's What I Appreciates About You, The Podcasting Couch, Venom, Zachary Rogers, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, Number One Red Guys Fan, Antonio Gracias, Babe Landiscog, Ben Barron, Proud Member of the Jake Wallman Gritty Club, Brad Simmons, Brian Vasha, Carl Thames, Connor Layton, and Darren Fick, Philip Zadiz Nuts, uh, GR Hockey Guy, who's a new name level sponsor. Thank you so very much for your support. Griffey Boy, uh, Ronix Handlebar. I'm just so, I'm just here so at least someone says go Bills, uh, who is a new name level sponsor as, as well. Welcome, go Bills. James Laporte, Jeremiah Dobo, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans, John Ingles, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Linda Hull, Matt Keeler, Matt S. Loyal Soldier, the Cheesebag Army, Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, Ricky Bongrips, Servo, the Hodag, the old water bottle book hockey. Thank you all so very much, and we will talk to you on Sunday. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.